Okay. As um, some of the Chabra just mentioned, because of a lot and because I was in America for a week, so this uh, we haven't been together for about three weeks now. So it's a good time now. We're starting the Psicha. We're starting up until now. This was the introduction to the introduction. Now we're in the introduction. My goal is to finish the introduction by tomorrow. And then we're going to start on the Maracha Rishona, and that's going to basically take us through the first part for sure until Pesach. Yoser me'asher b'sharim ha'kodmen anu nechnasim b'sharzeh letoch olamenu ha'pnimi. More than in previous sha'arim, previous chapters, we're now going to go more into depth about the internal world that we're trying to work on. Let's start with a basic premise. Everyone in the world is talking about the concept of I. Who am I? Many years ago, I was giving this shir in my house. I had a chaburah of people that were coming to my house to learn Ali Shore together, and at the time, my five-year-old daughter overheard me teaching this, this piece right here, and the whole time I was talking about the discovery of I, who are we, figuring out in our life, who are we. So afterwards, she was very frustrated with me. She was five at the time. She's a precocious child anyway, some of you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm not saying any particular child, I'm just saying my one particular precocious child, and she said, Abba, that was the dumbest shear you ever gave. <laughs> she was five. <laughs> this is the same kid who came home and told my wife, you stupided your head off. <laughs> my wife said, and how did I stupid my head off? Because she had to bring money to Ghan or something, and my wife gave 40 shekel because that's what we had and it only cost 30 shekel so the mora gave her 10 shekel change so she stupided her head off because she gave 10 shekel she said that was the dumbest shear you ever gave I said really why was that the dumbest shear I ever gave so she said what do you mean you don't know who you are you look in the mirror there you are she was sitting and listening from the top steps and she was like what do you mean you don't know who you are the truth of the matter is that question of who we are is a very profound question. Not to a five-year-old, because they don't have enough of an identity. They don't have enough of a sense of self to say, I want to be this person, or I want to be that person, right? I is somewhat fluid, as we're going to learn. But when we speak about I, Revolvi says, the first thing we need to know is I is an olam mali. It's an entire world. What does that mean? Ein ha'ani rak osev t'chuvot alamitrachesh Many people think that they are their reactions, Osef Tgubos, the compilation of the way that they respond and react to particular things that happen, to particular movements. Right? Who am I? I'm the way that I react. I don't want to get up in the morning. I'm 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 lazy, I'm tired, I'm depressed. Right? They define themselves by things that are outside of themselves. Reactions to things that are taking place outside of themselves. And then they say, and I guess that's who I am. Or, 
they'll tell you, I am my ambitions, right? But if you think about these things, your ambitions might be an indicator of who you are, but they're not you. You are not your ambitions. The raya for all of this is going to be that ambitions are fluid, right? And our reactions to things are fluid. So to say, I am my ambitions, is a very silly thing to say. It's as arbitrary to say, as I once heard Rabbi Kellerman say, I love this line, it's as arbitrary to say, I am, fill in the blank, a lawyer, a writer, a rebbe, whatever, right? I am, then say, hi, Mordechai Berg, size 36 underwear. It's, it's equally arbitrary, if you think about it. Why are you any more? Because just because you spend more hours a day doing something doesn't mean that that defines you, right? I probably wear undergarments probably longer than I'm a Rebbe in Mavasaret, right? So I'm a Rebbe in Mavasaret a couple hours a day. I wear undergarments more hours than that. So would it be appropriate? Let's do it with Hosh, just because I love you. Yeah. Hi, Hosh. Size 36 underwear. Nice to meet you. It doesn't make any sense. But most people are defining themselves, maybe for you, yeah? <laughs> most people are defining themselves by, by these things that are really external to themselves, right? And again, we're not saying that these don't, that these aren't part of our makeup, but these do not define, these things do not define us, right? Um, I think the first time I ever saw Hosh in my life, he was wearing, and I'm sure many of you have seen this, he was wearing, he was wearing floaties, right? <laughs> and I went over to Hosh, it was on a tour last year, I went over to Hosh and I said, uh, Hosh, why are you wearing floaties? And he looks at me, deadpan, and he goes, just in case. <laughs> and that's when I knew we were going to be close. And that was the moment. Yeah, I said, uh, this guy's good. Yeah, the, uh, but these, these things are, are reactions, right? We, we don't define people by these things. By the way, it's very dangerous to do that. It's very dangerous, especially in Chinuch. It's very dangerous to start defining people by their reactions and responses to different things because then we typecast them, right? And we say, this is who they are, and it's very dangerous. We, we pigeonhole people. Right? Uh, somebody said to me a very smart thing once. We were talking about uh, the educational system, and if earlier in life we should be introducing into the educational system real, like, okay, if you're going to become a doctor in life, so let's start that already in high school. Why do we need to spend so much time learning some of the ridiculous classes that we have? Right? I, I think back to my high school career, and I, I don't know how much of what I learned impacted the direction that I wanted to go in, in my life. So this person said, yeah, but at 18 years old, think about how much you changed. And that's 100% that's true. We have to give people somewhat of a broad education because ambitions can change. Yeah? Also, on outside of that, like, exactly what we're talking about, you're not just what you are. Yeah. You, know, so you want some general knowledge outside of how to shoot. That's it, right, exactly. If we, if, we, if we taught someone at 14 years old, okay, you're going to be the best at making shoes in the world, that's awesome, but what if at 18, they don't want to make shoes anymore? Or yeah. even that outside of that, let's say he wants to talk about basketball. Like Same thing. You said uh, it's dangerous to define people by their by stuff in Chinuch. Like, what would you say on what someone did? Like, well, let's say, let's say you have a, a Rebbe who, um, sometimes this happens, knew you earlier in your life or maybe earlier in your educational career, right? And maybe at that point, that person was a particular way of being. I'm not saying anything specific, I'm just saying a particular way of being, yeah? So just because 
I knew someone in NCS Lycola at 16. I'm not saying anything specific. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? So the, uh, just because I knew someone at 16 doesn't mean that's who they are at 18. And imagine if I treated an 18-year-old like the way he was two years earlier. It's, it's, it's not fair as an educator, right? The people in front of us are dynamic. And if we start to define them and label them and say, this is who you are, right? It, it's, um, we do a tremendous disservice to people by labeling them. Again, I think there's value in diagnosis, but when we label someone and we use that label as a way of diminishing them, it's very destructive to a person. How many rebellion that I've met, wonderful people, sincere people who are doing their best. Uh, he's the ADHD kid. Oh, he's the socially off kid. Oh, he's the, you know, people are dynamic. So it's, it's very, we have, it, this question of who am I is a fundamental question. By the way, parents do it too. We get so used to a kid behaving in a particular way that as parents, sometimes we make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. We've defined the child in a particular way, and the male of the child behaves in a, in a particular way. It's important as parents that we give the opportunity for a lot of different experiences to come from one person. By the way, it's equally important, I'm not just speaking from the perspective of the, of the Rebbe or the parent, but it's equally important for ourselves. If we see ourselves in a, in a narrow way, I've always done this, so since I've always done that, it must be that that's who I am. Why, why just because I always did that, does that mean that's who I am? A lot of people have this question as they get older. They say, okay, Rebbe, now I'm, uh, I'm getting married, I'm dating this girl. Do I need to tell her things that I did in high school? That's a common question. Uh, no. <laughs> why would you? I don't, I, I, I've never introduced myself to someone in the following way. And you'll forgive me for using such a crude example. Hi, my name is Mordechai, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but um, when I was two years old, I was just starting to get toilet trained. I've never introduced myself to someone that way. It, why, why not? It's a reality. Am I, wouldn't it be, am I holding something back? I'm not holding anything back. It's so not the person that I am that to sit there and talk about the person that I was when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, what was that? Icebreaker. Yeah, it's a tremendous icebreaker, right? It's probably going to be very bad for your dating career. Do not walk away. Do not walk out of this class with that idea. You have the, um, you hear what I'm saying? It's, it's because at some point in my life I was lazy or narcissistic or focused on meaningless things. So now wherever I go in my life, I need to say that that's who I am. If you feel the need to say that, that's the raya that you're keeping it with you. You know what I mean? Don't define yourself by these types of external things. Now, Lo, he says, no. Ani atzmo hanu. Olam hachai chayim atzmiyam. This is a world that is alive. Who we are is alive. We're going to see what that means. But it's an entire world, and it's, it's all-encompassing. Merov v'nei ha'adam nelam klil olam pnimizem. Most people are totally unaware of the internal world that they live in. People say all the time, I'm self-aware. No, you're not. No, you're not. It takes a tremendous amount of work to become aware of the, of the things that exist inside of us. It, it takes a tremendous amount of work. Most people, their direction in life is externally focused. Now, by the way, that makes sense. Why would our direction in life be externally focused? Because external things often present with a certain gravitas, with a certain importance, a real importance, like, for example, I need to make a parnasa for my family, 
right? So I'm focused on that external movement. Again, it's an important movement. I'm not diminishing its importance. It's an important movement, but it doesn't define us. But since we're so focused on it, that's what ends up pulling us in. So I need to make a parnasa. I became a lawyer. Memela, how do we introduce myself? Hi, my name is Mordechai and I'm a lawyer. But, but again, that's not your definition. It's the thing that you do. It might be the thing you spend most hours of your day doing, but it's still chitzoni. It's still external to yourself. Vehemefachtim. This is the big, this, this line right here, I underlined it in my, in my sefer because it's such a big important line. Vehemefachtim lahafoch es kivun chayeim pnima el atzmam velo rak lesha veikr mitoch sleida bevnei olam hanister vahazar shel atzmam. Most people are living with a type of fear. The fear is if I start to redefine myself, not by the things that I do, but the person that I am, I'm afraid of bringing up this entire hidden and strange world that exists inside of us. This is what's called the poison box. Every one of us lives with a poison box, a particular fear that we have that we're gonna discover something about ourselves that I don't wanna know, so I'm locking it away. I don't wanna talk about it. I don't wanna do the work to find out what's inside of there because I'm afraid of what it is. It's easier for me to remain externally focused than it is to actually discover the people that we are. So it's easier for me to say I'm a lawyer than it is to say I'm a person that struggles with this and here are my talents. It's much easier to define yourself by the external thing. Also, it'd be weird in a conversation if you introduced yourself that way, right? Is that, hi, my name is Mordechai. I'm really talented when it comes to public speaking, but honestly, I also have a fear of it, right? We, that would not be an icebreaker. That's socially awkward, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't do that, right? We would say, hi, my name is Evie and I'm a whatever, right? But, but we're not here talking about how you introduce yourself. We're talking about what is the actual worldview that you have. Because remember, guys, how you see yourself inside your paradigm impacts the way that people respond to you outside. If you're living an internal life, people outside of you will have a totally different approach. I want to share with you a story that happened to me. I'll try to maintain the... Uh, the protection of the person that I'm speaking about who's not anyone that anyone here knows, but I just want to say it in a certain way anyway. Um, I was in a particular place, it doesn't matter where I was, and a knock on the door, and a, a dear old friend of mine walks into the room. I see him about twice a year, back when I go to America. He walks in and he has a particular look on his face, a particular look on his face. And he, he says, um, it's really great to see you. Do you think you'll have some time for us to speak? So I, I, I looked at him a little strange because it wasn't, in other words, it, it wasn't asking like, can we hang out? You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, hey, like, if you're going to have a half an hour break, do you think we can hang? He was asking to speak. There was something going on. I said, sure. He said, just do me a favor. It's going to be a really busy day. Come back when it's good for you, and I'll, I'll take a break then. So... He comes in, and he says, is it good for you now? He took a break, he sits down, and he's like, I saw on his face, like, he was broken, he was broken. His eighth grade son had just gotten a letter that he didn't get into the high school that he wanted to go to, okay? But that wasn't so troubling, because that wasn't the troubling part, because that kid will get in somewhere, he's a good kid. The problem is the reason he didn't get in. The reason the kid didn't get in is because the older brother is in that high school. And the older brother is having a tough time, and what this person was reading into it was 
if they didn't accept my eighth grader, it's probably because it would be too uncomfortable to accept the eighth grader and then tell me at the end of the year that they're going to chuck my tenth grader. You understand? So the, all of a sudden, the writing on the wall was like there in front of him, and he was basically coming to sit down with me to say, like, I need, I need some help, I need some advice, I need, like, like where should I send my kids? It, it was a very misubach, very complicated conversation. But here's what I admire. This person is a person who's undergone a massive amount of pain in their life. Somebody who I grew up with. Family situation wasn't pasha. At some point, his brother was sleeping on a bench in Central Park. Mom, it's not a pasha situation. But this guy is an absolute superstar in his life. And everything he touches and everything he does, he's amazing. And he's very, very, very well known in his field. I won't say what field it is. He's a person who went to therapy for a very long time in his life. But he's a person not, you know, sometimes people go to therapy and they just become broken by therapy. Sometimes people go to therapy and all of a sudden they become like, like exceptionally courageous, powerful people. So he was the latter. He was just this exceptional, he is this exceptionally authentic person. As long as I've known him, by the way, he's been this type of person. But what blew me away in that conversation was he wasn't just talking about his kids. This is, these are the things he was saying. Things like, um, you know, I've spent so much time in my life trying to avoid rejection. And I'm realizing now that what's going on is this feeling of rejection that's coming up for me, even though it has nothing to do with me. And I have to make sure that I'm parenting my children and not parenting myself. Because I'm concerned about, this is what he's sharing with me as a friend, because I'm concerned about that in my interaction with my child, I'm really going to be feeling my own feelings of rejection. And in feeling my own feelings of rejection, I'm going to put that onto my child and create for him something that may not necessarily be going on for him. And you have to understand, I'm sitting there like this, just slack-jawed, blown away by the authenticity of what he was saying. Because, you know, most people, what would they spend their time doing? The system is ridiculous. The system is ridiculous. But the system is ridiculous, and it's not fair, and it's not right, and, and they did this to my son, and now to reject my other son, he wasn't doing that at all. He was so self-aware, so living in this internally alive way, that he wasn't focused on what was happening externally. He just wanted to make sure that as he transitions his kids into this new school, that he was going to be giving them the gift of experiencing it for themselves and not putting his own stuff on them. How many of us are living with that level of internal cognition? You understand? It's, it's mamish. You're talking about a guy who's checking in with himself. And remember we spoke about being a curious observer of self? Unless you are in a consistent state, I don't want to say constant, because constant is unreasonable, but unless you're in a consistent state of, of really checking in with yourself and, and asking yourself, what is going on for me? Like, what's happening, not out here, in here, who am I? You will end up in this gravitational pull towards just leading this external life, blaming everyone and everything for the problems that you have instead of taking real ownership. And by the way, it sounds like that. When you talk to these kvetchy, complaining type of people where just everything is like outside of themselves, they come off as so exceptionally unaware. And the craziest thing is, they're the only ones that don't know. And I'm sure you've had conversations like this with friends where they're like, everything is like, Somebody else's fault, and I don't understand. And even the way they blame themselves, it's, this ex it's not like this 
beautiful type of, I want to take ownership of this and I want to really be compassionate to myself, they're not really living with that sort of um, emotional complexity. They're just externally focused. You've met people like this, no? And it's sad. When we meet people like that, it's sad. And here's the thing, guys. When you get older, it doesn't change. Just the things change, right? All of a sudden, instead of being, instead of having to be the, the cool person to impress your social crowd with a particular behavior, now it becomes bigger boys with bigger toys, right? So it's who has, who has this, who has that, who married this one, how are their kids doing in school? And that, by the way, that last one, and again, I'm sorry to go off on the tangent, you want to know how to destroy a child? I'll give you the gift of knowing how not to destroy your child. Most Rabbanim have this. The gift of how not to destroy your child is do not make them pawns in this, um, in this movie of your life to tell your story. Your children do not tell your story. Your children do not tell your story. Do you know how much pressure it is for rabbis' children? It's crazy pressure because you know what's going on for them? I have to be this person because if I'm not, the rabbi's son is expected to behave in a particular way. And worse, when it comes from the parents. When it comes from the parents themselves sitting down and telling their child, you should know when you behave in this particular way, it reflects badly on me. No, it doesn't. Children do their own thing. Some kids are crazy. Some kids are, some kids are more lebedic. Some kids allow the child to be for themselves. I love it when you started off with but, yeah? Well, I say it does reflect poorly. So what? Not, not, not that it should. But, but it's, okay, good. I'm, I'm with you 100%. It definitely should so reflect, but, but, it, but it does. But it does. Good, 100%. Works. The society is broken. We, we, let's take your average congregational rabbi, right? He's, uh, he's the rabbi of fill-in-the-blank, young Israel of fill-in-the-blank, right? He's got 400 congregants. He is the best sermon giver, right? He's in this week's Torah portion, <laughs> which can be found on page 497, right? In the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. What did they do before the Art Scroll Stone Chumash? Everyone had different Chumashim. Nobody knows. Anyway, the, uh, so... And now his kid, his 16-year-old, wearing his hair in a particular way, dressed in a, whatever he's dressed in, acting oh in a particular God. way, and now you hear the whispers of, I hear you, Can you I hear the whispers it? of, the rabbi spoke in this week's Parsha on the value of parents giving the same message as related to us in the Sota Parsha, right? Whatever it is, yeah? And, and his kid is out there, and you know inevitably there's going to be some parent who says to the, who's, who comes home on Shabbos table and says, how dare the rabbi say that when his own child, when he can't get it together for his own child. You're right. It's sick, but you're right. It's the job of the rabbi in that scenario to be the healthy person and to be able to say, my message is true, the challenge of this child is real, but I'm, I have a responsibility to behave in a way that gives my child the feeling that their experiences are rich and real without my having it to be in a particular way because of my job. Is it hard? For sure. I want you to know, we had a, we had a boy here in Yeshiva once, one of the years, who was in exactly this situation. Just being 6,000 miles away, solved, it solved 50% of the problem. 50% of the problem was he would have to go to that shul every single week. When he came, he had a very honest conversation with his father, and he shared with his father what it was like, but the one saving grace is he said, my father never did that to me. 
It was never coming from my father. It was coming from congregants, but it was never coming from my father. It was easier for him to, to forgive those congregants for their behavior because they're just not people. But the saving grace that he had was my father never did that to me. What, what's the difference between that scenario and saying that we have to act a certain way as Jews to reflect on our, our to reflect well on, on Judaism? Right. Uh, first of all, you, you, when I was growing up, so I, you'll forget, I was a, uh, I was a little bit of Amaretz growing up. You know, like sometimes there are things that like everybody knows but you don't know. So when I was a little kid, I couldn't have been more than six or seven years old. I was a little kid. I was a hafter kid. I didn't know much, okay? But I thought that Shea Stadium was where you went to make a Chil Hashem. I didn't know what a Chil Hashem was, right? But I knew that in camp, they told us, you better not make a Chil Hashem when we're going to Shea Stadium every summer. So in my head, what was I thinking? Shea Stadium is it's a dangerous place. That's where Chil Hashems are made. Be very I didn't know what a Chil Hashem was, but I was excited not to make one. So I, I'll tell you honestly, I, I, I knew because they told me they were very clear. A Chil Hashem is when we're all walking to Shea Stadium. You should stay in the line, okay? And uh, you shouldn't scream nasty things at players because it's a Chil Hashem. I was like, Okay, I mean, we're up in, like, the nosebleed section anyway. It's like 30 cents a ticket, you know, because it's like a 2 o'clock game on a Tuesday afternoon in August, you know? Like, the, um, like, who wants to be closer to the sun at that point, right? I don't know how, I've never been to City Field. Is it, is it, is anyone here, is it good? Yeah, it's better. Nice Shea Stadium is more like up, up, up. Shea Stadium was City like, Field yeah. is like... I, I as a, I, like if you ever see six year olds like in Shea Stadium it's like creepy. all the way on top yeah it's a little weird especially because the rest of the stadium is empty you know like that's it was like a two a two o'clock game I remember sitting in like the orange seats all the way on yeah. top being like why won't they let us go down there's all those seats there's literally thousands of them yeah so when when we are commanded right to to be a kiddush Hashem when we're commanded to be a reflection of godliness in the world it's still an option and I believe that God will, God's relationship with me will not be impacted in its essence if I do or don't behave in a particular way. I have an opportunity to fulfill God's mission in this world by behaving in a godly way. I'm going to do my best to take advantage of that. But most of the time, I'm going to mess up. When I do, what's the loving voice of God going to say? It's going to be compassionate, non-judgmental, right? Make sense? Yeah. Reminds you something? <laughs> A little bit, maybe? So, Somebody, so yeah. Why do we have to take that same opportunity to help out our parents who are abundant? We have to take. We have to help them. Yeah, just like we, just like we want to take that opportunity to reflect well on Hashem. No, I do so think do it's we, important to reflect well on your parents, but that's our responsibility, not theirs. Their responsibility is to educate us in a particular way, to behave in a particular way, and then we have choices to make. We don't really control people ever, right? As I used to think growing up that it was very unhealthy for the parents. I don't know if you've seen these parents, but the parents that, like, the three-year-old, they're, you know, they got the three-year-old in the shopping cart in, uh, in Gourmet Glot or wherever you are, right? And, and you walk in, as Charlie Harari said, you walk into that aisle and then... The three-year-old looks up at you and says, we just discovered the cookie aisle together. You know, we've gotten to that place where the three-year-old like looks, like it's so many cookies, right? It's not like that in Israel. We have less variety of cookies. I was just in Gourmet Glad. I was 
blown away by the variety of cookies that a person could buy. And the aisles are so long and so beautiful, right? It's like a rainforest in the vegetable section. It's like, it's like I'm used to like the pigeons in Yesh, you know? Like I, I haven't been back in a long time. So, um, which is a totally different type of tropical experience, right? The pigeon droppings all over the peppers. Anyway, the, uh, so the three-year-old looks up at you and says, I want a cookie. And what does the parent say? The, fr the, the first move no. is the parent wants no. to negotiate. No. And negotiating with a three-year-old, is the, it's the, literally the funniest thing you could ever do. Because what do you do? You say, now tzaddik, right? Clearly people that haven't learned Tanya. Now striving benoni, right? Now, now tzaddik, yeah? Now tzaddik. Yeah, babakam, exactly. Now tzaddik. Um, I gave you a cookie when we got into the car, and if you behave nicely, I'll give you a cookie when we're finished. And the three-year-old gets that smile of like, <laughs> you think that's this, this is gonna go down well for you, right? And now the three-year-old is screaming in the middle of the aisle, right? And now, as a parent, you're faced with the choice. What's the choice? Give him the cookie. Or... Do I give him the cookie and teach him that we do negotiate with terrorists, right? <laughs> because that's absolutely what it is. Or, alternatively, do we do the following? You're entitled to sit and scream on the ground. I'm going to continue shopping. I'd like for you to come with me, right? But I'm not going to give you what you want. Just with, but here's the problem with doing that. It's the judgmental moms, dads, and myself that's walking by going, you have no control over your child, right? And the, and the stares of like watching your kid throw a temper tantrum while other people are looking at you, watching it happen, it's very difficult. So have you ever seen this move? Have you ever seen the parent that loses it? in the middle of the supermarket on their child? And how do they lose it? They think they lose it in a way that no one can tell. What does that look like? They grab the child and they yank the child as if nobody could tell what physical abuse looks like, right? They yank the child and when you look at their fingers, right, they're white because they're squeezing so hard on a three-year-old. Why? Because the three-year-old wanted the cookie and now I'm embarrassed. Think about that, right? I used to think those parents had no control over their children. Now, as I'm an adult, it turns out those are the healthiest parents. The healthiest parents are the ones that make the choice. If they're going to give the child the cookie, then they've made, a per they've made a parenting choice to give the child the cookie, and that's fine. Everyone has the right to choose what they want to choose. But it's healthier to sit and be embarrassed and to let other people walk by and judge and to go, I gotta do what I gotta do. As a parent, I've made a parental decision. If a three-year-old wants to have a temper tantrum, that's fine, but I'm not gonna become physically abusive because I'm embarrassed. Wait, so which, it came off that the guy yeah, who's grabbing the, the child. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah. I don't mean that. The guy who's grabbing the child. Is bad. Yes. Good. <laughs> yes. Thank you for clarifying. The, um, that guy is obviously focused in an external way. Because think about what he's chosen, right? He's chosen. He's chosen child abuse. It is. Let's not, let's not call it. A three-year-old can't defend themselves against a 30-year-old parent. A 30-year-old parent is a young parent, but it's still, it's, it's 30 years old. A three-year-old cannot possibly defend themselves. And by the way, it's like that. Again, I don't know, you'll, you'll learn this when you get older. When your kids eat cereal at a young age, you have to know a box of cereal that you buy is a quarter of a box of cereal. It's a quarter of a box. Half of the box is air. The rest, a quarter of the a quarter of that remaining half, is on the floor. Cheerios belong on the floor. <laughs> and when I was a young married man, and my kids would eat cereal, 
there would be Cheerios everywhere. My daughters would be walking around eating Cheerios, and I would walk, and I would hear a consistent crunch <laughs> under my feet. And it, it gets to you. It gets to you. First of all, it's like a waste of money, and it's like what, what type of filth? Because you've transitioned out of the dorm life, right? There's that like, you've transitioned out of dorm life, so you're like becoming a person again. And then you're like newly married, living in this nice place. Mr. Gersberg, do you remember this? You're like newly married, living in a nice place. Not nice in terms of, it's not a house. But like, it was, yeah, it was like clean. I remember the Cheerios. Right, right? But Cheerios are both is only the training ground to Legos on the floor. There are not enough curse words in the English dictionary for the parents that steps barefooted at 3 o'clock in the morning who went downstairs to get you the bottle of milk because you woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and now I'm stepping on the five-year-old's Legos. There are not enough words in the English language to express the frustration that you have. Right? It's the, uh, I'm not saying from experience, you understand? <laughs> I don't have any Legos in my house yet. My son is only uh, two and a half. So coming soon, God willing, right? You know, you, you know you're parenting a son when you finally get Legos. Right now I have one truck in the house. You understand? It's, it's all dolls and dress up for the last 16 years. Finally we have a, we have a truck. And he sits and he plays with that truck and I shut nachas. He's <laughs> going back and forth with that truck. It's going to be a van. <laughs> he comes to Mivasar and plays with Tani. He's going to be out trucking Tani left to right. Anyway, the, uh, Everybody's make sure it has the dolls. I don't want to say anything. I'm not, I'm not here to speak badly about Tani, but I know he plays with dolls. The, uh, okay, so back to Musa. <laughs> How do we transition back? We do. We do what we do. Okay, Zosvo. <laughs> Everybody's tired. Everybody's busy with the world of action. Muskul Rishon Omerlanu, our first thought says to us, Everybody's looking at the world and we want to be marbe b'maisim. We want to do a lot. We want to do a lot in all areas of life. We want to build, we want to shape the world, and we want to be shaped by the world. That is the natural desire of a person. We want to create a basis. We want to create a foundation. That's, everyone's looking to make noise. A basis. Everyone's looking to make a foundation. We want to find our place. But a deep person will think deeply about this. God runs the world. He is infinitely capable. God could bring the world to its ultimate fruition even if we didn't do anything. Even if we didn't do anything. If I wake up in the morning and do nothing, God will still get the world where it needs to go. So we're all busy trying to create a space for ourselves. We're all busy trying to say, like, where do I belong? Lama Ephomaisa. But if God could do everything, so then what role do my actions actually play? There is only one reason for action. Only one. <coughs> the purpose of creation is to bring a person to our ultimate state of completion. If you want it to be real, it has to enter into the world of action. I'm going to say it one more time. That which we think is not real until it comes into the world of action. Your, uh, Bill Parcells, one of the best coaches of all time, 
in the 80s had a famous line. I think it was a year where the Giants were like slated to do awesome. And they ended up having a terrible record and they were beset by injuries. And Bill Parcells famously said, you're as good as your record. You're as good as your record. So before the season, everyone's projecting. They're going to be 13 and 3, they're going to be 14, whatever, they're going to be 14 and 2, right? And then you're 7 and 9. What happens, guys? You're as good as your record. People talk a big game. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. You see this in business all the time. Talk is cheap. They talk a big game. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Hire me because of, right? Guys, you know who moves the needle? It's the people that show up consistently, do the job with integrity, and do it. They don't talk about it. Leaders don't talk. They do. I always, uh, again, this is maybe an inappropriate commentary, but it, it, it is definitely the way that I feel, and I'd like to share it with you. Um, these, like... Uh, uh, how shall I say this nicely? You know how like they have these like panels on like different crises in Judaism? So there's two types of these panels. Some of them are really good and some of them are dreadful. And I can tell you which are the good ones and which are the dreadful ones. You ready for it? Here, it's easy. The really good ones are when you manage to get exceptionally busy people in the field, people who literally don't have minutes of their life, and you manage to pull them away for an hour to be on a panel, they're gonna be awesome. But the people that sit and pontificate on these subjects and they like write articles and they're like the thought leaders in the industry, they have nothing to say. You know why they have nothing to say? Because they're not bashatach, they're not in the trenches. All they are is like, you know, if we did this, if we, no. There's a big difference between, right, the, the local rabbi who's really working hard with his balabatim and the families, and he's sitting with families all day long, and he's sitting with kids all day long, and there's a difference, and you know this yourself. And then the rabbi that shows up to give a speech once a month in the youth minion so that he could say that he addresses the youth minion once a month, when in reality the first time that he learned your name was by your bar mitzvah because he had to present you with a gift, right, and the next time he'll know your name is when he comes over to you at your wedding. But in between, did you ever have a real conversation with him? No, and why not? Because he's not bashatach. Talk is cheap, actions are real. It's easy to pontificate the people that move the needle in life. If you want to know what's really going inside, look at where they live. Look at where they live. Look at what, the, what actions they bring, because that is an indication of their shlemus. The shlemus masigim rakayedei maisim. Ilizos, dafka bal maisim chayev letapeach olamu apnimi, ba'ofen shem maisim yechazek es pnimi yuso. And so here's the catch 22, and this is what Revol be sensitizing us to, and we'll finish with this. On the one hand, we're sitting here and saying you have to lead an internal life. Where's my paradigm? Where's my worldview? What's the lebedic thing that's happening inside of me? Okay? But then, where is it expressing itself? Without getting caught up in the fact that the expression doesn't define me. So let's, let's go back to our case of the lawyer. Are you defined by the fact that you're a lawyer? Absolutely not, that's just what you do. But being a lawyer should be driven by a particular worldview that I have. And that action now is mechazek, that internal worldview. So when I'm out there being a, being a lawyer, yes, on some level it does define me, not because I am a lawyer, but because that is a symptom of a worldview that I have. You understand the difference? And and Adarab, and now the way in which I'm a lawyer is going to is going to it's going to build me in a certain sense. Let's say, for example, that you're a lawyer and your thing is I'm an integrity person. I take integrity cases, right? Now, 
If that's your worldview, and that's the internal worldview that you have, I am going to seek to be an integrity person. Now the way that you handle your clients, right? The hours that you bill them. You should hear, right? You've heard the Roche speak about billing hours, I'm sure. Right? Right? How people get, you know, lawyers will bill you for every time they sneeze, right? I, w I was sneezing and I was thinking about you, that's an extra hundred dollars. Right? That's not an integrity way of being. So the way that you're acting outside should be something that you come home at the end of the day and you say, yeah, I'm proud of that. That was, that was built in. That was coming from the inside. Don't do it because God needs your action. God doesn't need your action. If he wanted to get this entire project done without us, he could. The reason he doesn't is because he wants you. You hear the difference? If God wanted the world to have Binyan Bayashlishi, we'd have Binyan Bayashlishi. Turns out God is interested in you. And what he's interested in is you being able to mature. You being able to come to a place where you live your life. And this is what it says in Mishlei. Creation is designed for a man. The purpose of living in a world of action is so that we can ultimately come to our fruition. We'll stop here. I mean, what was everybody saying? That actions should strengthen internal views and internal views should be The internal expressed. view informs my action. The action strengthens my internal view. My internal view is I'm a man of integrity. Now I have an action of integrity. If my internal view is I'm an integrity person, but then I go out and I do whatever I want, you're not an integrity person. Well,